Hello and welcome to Reptory Screenings episode 90. I'm your host and with me is my regular host Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hello. And we're here to talk about movies. Cinema. Remember how I was like, oh, I'm movie moded. I, then I got sick and I immediately went back to gaming mode. It like popped the bubble instantly. <laughs> uh, have you heard of gaming? Have you heard the good word about gaming? Here's the problem is I'm damned. <laughs> you just love gaming, gaming lives in my heart. Yeah, I do. I really do. I was talking to I was talking in our group chat with Neve uh, the other day, and I, or I was just talking. I was like, I'm just back to gaming. I'm more interested in gaming than I am every other of my hobbies put together. And Neve was like, I can't imagine living like this. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. That's it. I just think about gaming all the time. Um, yeah, this is it. Genuinely, this year is the most you've been into gaming since, since we started. 2015. Isn't 2015? I think 2015. I guess we were like really. Like when we started the podcast, we were all high. When we started, when, when we started normal mapping, I was not t- touching a movie if you paid me fucking money because right, I was so burned true. out. <laughs> we were so burned out from um, from doing it that way. Yeah. Uh, but then we kind of like by 2016, gaming had become our job that we were not trying to think about. But now we're like, yeah, gaming. 2023 is the year of gaming. Well, here's the thing: is I don't want to watch anime at all because. I'm really down on anime, thanks to Gundam Seed Destiny. And uh, so you're almost free. You're almost. I free. do enjoy watching movies every time, but I'm kind of depressed and like works really ro- running me down. And so every time I go to start a movie, I'm like, I don't know if I have two hours of attention, and then I play a game for two hours instead. Yeah, I mean, gaming is just different. It's just yeah. Uh, better. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that is better for my current attention span in life situation. Um, yes. But, I was um, shit posting, but yeah. I did watch the movies. Uh, I so my first movie is I watched No Time to Die. Oh, the fuck, you did. 2011 right. James Bond that. film. 2021. 2021, sorry. I just uh, take, took a decade off. Um, which uh, <laughs> I think this movie is like half good, like half pretty good as like a capper for Daniel Craig. I think the way in which it ties in literally every character who's been in these fucking movies, uh, who's still around, uh, is interesting um and neat and i think uh they they actually reinvest in um in leia sadu is like bond's like girlfriend um in a way that really like saves that character she also doesn't look 18 like she did in the last movie because it's been many years um that helps um even though he is still old enough to be your father and they shouldn't do that anymore next james bond really needs to be a 30 year old guy and he needs to hang out with 30 year old women i think that's like an easy bar to clear <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. funny that like um the whole thing with Craig was he was like the young cool Bond. And yes. it lasted about four minutes. He is like less than four years. It's six years between Casino Round, Skyfall, and Skyfall. He's already being portrayed like old and over the hill. Yes. Partially that's just Daniel Craig's demeanor. He is a man who like entered into middle, like looking middle-aged rapidly. And I he, like I think he wears it well. I'm not saying this is negative. I'm just saying no. that that motherfucker, motherfucker looks weathered. You cannot sell him as a young man. <laughs> no. Well, you could in 2006, right? He was like the cool young Bond uh but then he like just get, gets his wrinkled hard and he just became an old guy, which is cool. You know what? It's cool. I like he, he's hot. It's Daniel Craig. He's still hot. Have you yeah. seen the fucking uh, every time he comes out as um, Benoit Blanc? Benoit Blanc. Yeah. Yeah. This Benoit Blanc can get it way more than James Bond. Let me tell yes. you. <laughs> not a critique of uh, him getting old. It's just saying it just comes out different. Um, but um, 
the second half of the movie is just like a huge protracted like Call of Duty action level where um Daniel Craig James Bond and the the new 007 what's that lady's name who plays her um uh Lashana Lynch she's like because he retires there's like a time gap and he just quits and they get a new 007 and they're just running around in like fucking tactical suits and like assault rifles shooting like a thousand guys in this big like facility and I'm just like this is not what I come to James Bond for James Bond is about showing up in a suit and shooting like two guys I don't want to see James Bond tactically clear rooms with an assault rifle it's just not like a thing I'm interested in um I mean I I don't mind it, but not as like like I like when anyone calls like James Bond a soldier or like was he what's his rank? He's like Sergeant Bond. What are they like? Com- there is a, a bit where she comes in, and she's like, ah, James Bond, and he's like, that's Commander Bond to you, and you know, Commander Bond, Commander Bond. <laughs> yes. Sorry, it's not, it's not. It's like yes. Whenever like uh, when Colin Salmon calls Pierce Brosnan Commander Bond, I'm like, that's cool. Yes, uh, but if it's half the movie, um, like, I like it as an aesthetic thing, right? I'm like James Bond's a military man type stuff, not because I want to watch a Call of Duty level. Um. Anyway, also, Rami Malek plays this fucking... Rami Malek only plays weirdos. I swear to God, that's his whole life is playing weirdos. And he plays this guy... Uh, I'm going to copy his name in. Um, it's Lucifer Safin, which is just like Lucifer Whoa. Satan, but like exotic. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> I I understand that's like, like, like a part of the James Bond identity. I right? don't think the- it works in the Craig Bonds because the Craig Bonds are so trying to be very self-serious. Right. Why bring it back? Why? Why? You, you don't have to fucking Xenia on top it, right? You yes. Can make him a normal name. <laughs> Xenia on top works because Daniel Craig's, or not uh, Pierce Brosnan's bond is goofy as shit. You got this fucking male model driving a tank down St. Petersburg. You're allowed to name a woman Xenia on top. <laughs> yes. I remember when I, when I last watched GoldenEye, I was like, this is so fucking boring and turned it off halfway through. I wonder how wrong I was about that. I think you're extremely wrong. I think GoldenEye is really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like, I'm not saying that, that one, that opinion holds up. I just, for England, James? No, experience. for me. It's fucking great. <laughs> I mean, I, I, had, I have seen it all the way through before that. I remember when he explodes from yeah. being in liquid nitrogen. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I think it's half good. I think uh, Fukunaga is a terrible director for James Bond specifically because everything is flat and gauzy in the exact same way. There's no like sense of moving from place to place in a way that I feel like there's a lot of traveling. They got that part right, but I just think they got the wrong director to do it. And this is like mm-hmm. discounting the fact that this man is turbo canceled. Fuck him. Um, yes. So, but um, separate from that, the movie yes. doesn't look very good. The movie looks yeah. like a Netflix original. Yeah. Um, but I did, I did kind of half enjoy it. I think it's like absolutely okay. worth watching. They even make me like Christoph Waltz's Blofeld, which I didn't think was possible. Cause I really genuinely don't like Christoph Waltz as an actor. So He's probably fine. He's probably delightful, but man, I fucking hate his acting. Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't hate him, but I get why you do. Yeah. Um, anyway, the only other movie I have to watch are, well, so I watched Return of the King, check out exportaud.io probably in like two weeks for that. Um, uh, we're going to do our final mortal movie night, my final mortal movie night about Return of the King. Um, and that'll probably be good. Um, and then I feel like I watched, oh, I watched Paddington. Check. If you want to listen to us talk about Paddington, recording that right after this, go to patreon.com slash neural mapping and support the shows that we make for $5 a month. You get blockbusters every month. And we're about to talk about Paddington, the first one. Um, Boy, are we. Much to, much to discuss. I actually so like Paddington quite a bit, but it, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> is it the most unhinged movie ever made? There's, there's no, absolutely not. Movie. Absolutely not. But I get why you say that having just watched it. <laughs> I feel like there might be information you're missing. Uh, probably. I'm not British, so there's there's the key 
there's a <laughs> modifier to opinions here. <laughs> yeah. So look forward to that podcast. Yeah. Um, Destiny. Uh, I watched a movie with you. Yes. It was called Living on Tokyo Time. Yeah. Um, this was part of the like Criterion 80s Asian American cinema like block, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is directed by Steven Okazaki. Okazaki. Yeah. Would you like to briefly t- talk about Living on Tokyo Time? It's about this woman named Kyoko who uh, lives in Japan and decides she wants an independent American experience. So she just, on a whim, moves to uh, the United her husband, States. Her husband sleeps with like a sec- his secretary and she's like, I'm, or her would-be husband. She's like, I'm not getting married. I'm moving to America. <laughs> All right, yes, that happens too. But I also, I think she was telling the truth when she said to the camera that she wanted to. Yes. <laughs> she told her family that as well. Um, so anyway, she moves to San Francisco. Yes. And um, needs to renew her visa. Like it runs out and there's this like kind of metalhead punk rocker. He's like on the cusp of a uh, punk rocker metalhead guy named Ken uh who is Japanese American and he is just uh a bomb much, a layabout bomb <laughs> yeah yeah exactly he's he's like a proto slacker cuz this movie predates uh the idea of the 90s slacker but he is definitely the, the 80s version of that um if John Bender from the Breakfast Club was uh Japanese American and was an adult this is who he would be um, but None anyway, of our audience know what you're talking about because they're all young and haven't watched Breakfast Club. Watch the Breakfast Club. It's uh, formative. I love it. But that's because I saw it very, very young. Uh, anyway, there's some problems with it. Don't get me wrong. So anyway, uh, they end up getting a marriage of convenience through one of her work friends and just sort of it, go, it goes from there just telling this sort of it's not quite a romantic comedy, but it's very funny, um, just how they culturally clash, um, and, uh, it has, eh, 80s gender politics about it, but not in, like, a overt way. Uh, yeah, the thing for me is, um, it is 87, uh, but San Francisco looks like when New York looks like the seventies, that's what San Francisco looks like. It's just like rundown and shitty and everyone like, it's not glamorous at all. Um, they live in these tiny empty apartments with like just things pinned to the walls. Um, and everyone's poor and it looks like the end of the world in exactly the way you'd want. Um, and the main thing is Kyoko doesn't speak English. She's like learning English via tape. She like wants to go to school, but doesn't speak English enough to get into like any sort of college. Um, and Ken obviously doesn't speak Japanese, so they're try he's trying to help her communicate as they live together. Um, and he falls for like a dumbass. She's like, I just got married so I can live in America. Don't be like that. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's really good about just like this people like of the same age, just like from vastly different cultural experiences, despite both being Japanese, existing in the space and bouncing off each other um in ways that are good. Uh, Ken's got these like two work friends who are just also slackers in different directions. And they're really funny. Anytime they're just standing around smoking, um, talking about their lives is always really good. It's a very low key film. Um, yeah, it's classical, super low key. classical independent cinema before Pulp Fiction m- made every independent movie have to have like style and inertia. Hitman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, back when movies were about just, uh, 
slackers. Um, yeah, just yes. when people people stand around and talk about things was the film. That's what independent cinema was. I genuinely miss it. Yes, um, I miss that uh, Linklater vibe. Yeah. I would not. I, I feel like Linklater is too much of a stylist for what I'm describing here. But yes. I mean, early Linklater. Yeah. He literally made a film called Slacker. That Something is about this talking. movie reminds me of like Wanda. When we watch Wanda, right? Just kind of like oh, the, for the sure. drifting lives of people. Um, I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, cute. I really liked it too. It was cute as hell. Um, then the other movie I watched is the oh, was it two thousand four? I had the page up. Hold on, two thousand four's Night Watch. Oh, right. uh, directed by Timur Bekmamatov. Uh, based on the nineteen ninety eight novel The Night Watch by Sergei Lukian. No, you're not gonna man. You're not gonna <laughs> I'm, I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it's about these forces of good and evil, and then the guy's, you know, uh, got a curse put on his kid, but he doesn't know it's his kid. And this is the Russian vampire movie. Yes, the Russian vampire movie from 2004. Yes, I hadn't seen it. I didn't realize. I've never seen it because I thought it looked, I thought it looked kind of dumb when he came out. It is kind of dumb, but I really liked it. It's got really fun style. Um, it's got Matrix uh, influence dripping all over it, but it, uh, I don't know, it worked for me. I, I have nothing deep to say about it. I just really enjoyed it. Um, a friend listened to our episode where we talked about our favorite subtitles in movies mm-hmm. and said that that was his favorite uh, subtitles in films. So it had really, like stylized uh i think it's known for the stylized subtitles as well Mm. but yeah so that was really cool but yeah the plot is way too convoluted for the kind of movie it is uh but i had fun Mm -hmm. don't know if i'm gonna watch the sequel uh yeah fair enough (laughs) uh jackson uh, hello. Um, I have watched a couple movies. Okay, what you got? Uh, so I I watched. Uh, well, I rewatched because everyone was talking about Fast X. Uh, the first two Fast and Furious are they, movies. Are they really calling it Fast X and not Fast Ten? I. You know what? I've no idea. Is okay. it? Is, is it Fast X? Don't ask me. I don't fucking know. Or I don't actually 10. know either. But it is the tenth movie. I. I no one's saying it out loud. I. I don't know. Yeah. But like. They do weird names, so it could be pronounced yeah. X, it could just be 10. Like, it's Jason X. Yes, but I I feel like that flows off the tongue better than Fast X, but you know what? I don't know. Um, I genuinely, I have no idea if it's Wikipedia like... Wikipedia goes every- Fast X also knows Fast and Furious 10 with the no, new but that, role. That, that, that doesn't think, no, you can ignore that, because like every yeah. single movie in, in the UK has been called yes. Fast and Furious number. So that doesn't actually fucking help me with anything. Anyway, regardless no. of that. Uh, could, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go to the Katakana, but it's probably wild speed whatever. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you can't go to the Katakana for English. <laughs> I, I can. I can and I will. You can stop making the right actual English thing in Katakana so you know how to pronounce <laughs> <Yes>. them. <laughs> Stupid. Anyway. Um, people talk about that. That movie apparently is fucking terrible. Uh so I just like put on the Fast and the Furious from two thousand one, uh, and was surprised. Like, damn, that's a good movie. That's a good ass movie. I was I I always thought it was like okay, um, 
and they didn't really get good till Fast Five. It is um, just okay. You, you're wrong about where it got good, um, but it, it is like a the end of a gasp of movie making that just kind of like that movie ushered its closing hour. I mean, like, yeah, it, it is a not as good Point Break. This is known, yes. but I think it's totally good. It's, it's completely competent. It's enjoyable. It's my not thing, like my thing about the Fast and Furious is specifically. Um, it and this is true it has the vibe of old ass men writing about a youth movement they don't understand just think it's kind of like a good style to lift yes which is literally like they read a they read a the, the origin of the script is they read a like newspaper story about street racers and wrote a movie about it <laughs> uh, one of the plot points hinges on um like because it's all stolen dvds but like one of the fake out plot points hinges on another group just having 50 dvd players in the back yeah <laughs> which is really good um i think it's a t- totally well done one of those it is a fine sub point break movie yes um uh and i quite enjoyed it uh and then i moved on to too fast too furious which was another one i was like yeah it's kind of bad and Fucking it started great. out like classic film kind of bad um but as it went on, i was like wait a minute this is this is a classic of cinema this is you can't you can't deny too fast too furious all of those cars come out of that garage i had completely forgotten the bit where the seven thousand cars come out of the garage to fuck with the cops yes uh every single line that um paul walker delivers in too fast and furious is an instant classic yes yeah it's just it's, it's a really like campy movie um everyone seems like they're having intense amounts of fun uh shooting yes. scenery um it's anytime like, tyrese is there it's it's a gift <laughs> oh he's killing it he's killing it uh it's like the movie is i wouldn't say it's like hyper stylized or anything but you know how like in 2003 when music videos just like had color in them to an yes Yes. it's one of those like the the color palette's intense um not to like breaking realism levels like it just has that of the error and it's really good yeah uh and um yeah like kind of it breaks the plot of the first movie in a way that is helpful because, like, the first movie is t- taking the cop stuff seriously, right? Like, Brian was a cop and he's torn between these two worlds, like, really invested in that. And this brings in the idea that actually, before that, Brian was a swagful street racer um, <laughs> <laughs> who was deeply in love with Roman Pierce and they had a bad breakup. Yes. Uh, which is simply not true. It was never true, but it does completely change uh, the whole thing. Uh, and it's good, delightful fun. Uh, and um, it's a shame that, like, Vin just comes back and centers the entire thing on the round. Ruins the whole thing. <laughs> Vin Diesel thinking that he could pick a fight with um, with Jason Momoa in public <laughs> opinion and win is the most, like, this man's ego is out of control that I've ever seen. Literally everyone on Earth thinks Jason Momoa is the coolest guy who's ever lived. <laughs> uh, he barely came out alive against The Rock. He, like, he, he only won that one on, like, good luck. Yeah, uh, and The Rock's too polite had- to start shit in public, right? Right, but, like... He also only went on like people getting reinvested, assuming it was fake. Yeah. Until that rock bit where the rock was like, "Why did you br- like? Why did you bring up Paul? He died." <laughs> I was like deeply offended because he's like yes. his view of kayfabe is very different to Vince. Yes. Uh, uh, but yes, they're trying to uh, take a fight with Jason Momoa is very funny. They're not yeah. going to get that final sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's- they will. It's weird. All he all he had to do is be like, "We made ten of these." Movies do eventually start doing less good at the box office. That's the that's just movie making. We knew that would happen. It's fine. We're going to entertain people and wrap up the story, and we're all going to go home happy because that's the truth. You could have just said that, idiot. You could just. I mean, Fast Ten or X or whatever is like the eighth most expensive movie of all time. Three hundred and forty million dollars. Yeah, which is unhinged. 
Because yes. I'm like, what? Uh, I, I feel like the final Fast and Furious movie writes itself. It is, you know, he has to race a car again. <laughs> <laughs> they're never, they're never going to do that. They're going to fucking blow up half the planet or something. <laughs> I just feel like, oh, he, he, he comes back to L.A. after the CIA shit's wrapped up and they don't have the money to do CGI stuff anymore. And the they, except, he, except the CG golem of Paul Walker, who's here to race him on last time. <laughs> he's still alive. Brian's still alive. Yeah, that's I know they... I understand they don't want to kill their friend that died in real life on the series, but they they got it. They got to kill him. It would it would have been fine if he had just died between seven and eight, like quietly, and they just like you know that's probably how I would have handled it. I that's what I would have done. I understand why they didn't want to give him like a a big death in seven because it would have changed the plot and made it weird, like when he mm-hmm. actually died. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like you know, the ending of seven's fine when he rides off. It is appropriately emotional, but like. Only because it's sad that a real person died in real life. It's not like a good movie. No. <laughs> uh, but they keep on going and they have to go like, oh, Brian's at home with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part that makes me like cringe. It's so ridiculous. Oh, well, the family's here, but Brian hasn't showed up. Oh, damn, he'll Brian's be back later. What they need um, to do is at the very end, um, Vin just goes back to his fucking garage and he's not driving anymore. And it, someday it's like, oh, there's a guy here who wants to race you. It's fucking Lucas, Lucas Black. Black. Thank you. <laughs> oh. uh, if Lucas Black the whole time has been revealed to have a, like a parallel crew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he has his own family. and It's like that shot of Shaun of the Dead where they meet the other guys. Um, that would be the best movie ever. He's he's apparently in Fast Nine, which we did not watch, so I don't know what he's how much he's doing in that. I, I know like vague, I know like Han's a secret agent now. Yeah, he tripped Tucker, faked his death. Sure, but what is Luke? What is Lucas Black doing? I don't know. Is he in Tokyo still? I've no I idea. don't know. It just says he's in it. <laughs> um, I I don't know. When I watched uh, one and two, I didn't go in with the plan of like, oh, I'm going to get caught up to the present. Um, but uh, I did enjoy watching those two at least. Yeah. Um might rewatch Tokyo Drift. Tokyo Drift's a great movie. Uh but if I if I I assume if I go I'll stop at five because um Oh I mean what you should not do is watch Fast and Furious, a fucking terrible that's the movie. one I'm the, that's the one I'm most curious about because I'm like, I like these two, but I remember really hating Fast and Furious, which is It's like, bad. Remember, it's a bad film. <laughs> I remember thinking it really fucking sucked. And am I is that still correct? Why, yes, why do I Yes, it's still correct. <laughs> There's a terrible CGI chase in like the mines with the mines. Yes, Where they? yes. He has wheelman car checks because he's selling the wheelman. Um, and oh, uh, is that and- why he's doing cut? Fuck! He's selling the wheelman. Because I remember the CGI cut, man. And that movie begins with like 20 minutes of Brian being in like a the suit. He's like an FBI suit. Why yeah. is he an FBI suit? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's also where he gets like detective vision to ascertain if someone survived a car wreck with nothing other than like skid marks on the road. I think that the the movies are bad. <laughs> the movies yes. are bad. Uh, but I enjoyed watching those two. And the other movie I watched is I, I watched John Wick 4. Now that came out on like the internet. Yes. Uh, and I didn't like it very much, unfortunately. Everyone adores that movie, but I thought it was bad. Uh, because it like retcons, retcons. It completely, three ends on a very good cliffhanger. And this abandons that within about five seconds. <laughs> um and goes off in another direction and just does another, the same thing again. And you're like, oh, he's going to go fight the guys. Oh, there's another shitty guy who's like 
part of the high table who he has to go kill. Uh, oh, yep, and they're going to put out a hit on him. He has to kill about 50,000 anonymous guys who are like going all over the city to stop him. Uh, and it's bigger and better this time because he's running through Paris. And I'm like, it's not as good. You already did this in John Wick 2, and it was best there. When John Wick 2 had that whole montage and he's shooting Common in the, uh, in the, in the train station. Mm-hmm. That stuff ruled. And I, I just thought it was diminishing returns. Uh, I assume a big reason was like, there's a lot of like fun, crowd-pleasing action stuff that just didn't hit as much at home on my TV. I assume it was a good, fun theater movie, uh, which is how everyone had seen it before. Um, but I, I like thought it kind of stepped away from the characters, the plot. It's a massive cop-out. But in ways, it's like... I ha- to, to complain about this plot... You have to be like into John Wick law in a way that makes me feel embarrassed. Yes, I was about to say this is a thing you shouldn't. Because uh... <laughs> I have to say, like, but what? But how can Winston know about the ancient jewels when the marker is the representation of the like? What happened to the marker that he gave him in two uh, and stuff like that? And you go, what the fuck are you talking about, Jackson? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, it's because of it's because of that stuff. I think like the the entire plot is a huge cop out. Uh, that doesn't like deal with the stuff that John Wick is about, uh, but he does kill a lot of guys. So if if you want Keanu Reeves to do a uh, you know combo mad on the thousand guys in Paris, he's got your back. I um I only saw the first two, and uh, I thought the second one was fine. Um, I I guess I liked it more than the first because the last half hour wasn't a waste of everyone's time, unlike John Wick one. But I don't think either of those movies are like exceptional in the way that people do. And I wasn't inspired. I was like, oh, they're introducing lore. I'm out. I fuck lore. I hate it. I really like two. Uh, I like three, but I was like, there's a little too much fighting in this. Like, it's fine, but it's a lot of fighting against, like, guy number one who is not a character that's just like, I'm seeing moves being done. Yeah. Uh, and it isn't, like, imbuing it with, with stakes and interest because, like, John Wick's going to win the fight. He's John Wick. <laughs> um, but uh, I still kind of liked, like, the story being told. Uh, and this, like, doubled down on all the action stuff. Um and uh, all the talking scenes, which are the... St- I come to John Wick for someone going to a hotel and saying ridiculous stuff about rules and contracts. Um, I think all that stuff is significantly weaker in this movie. Um, so that was a shame, but I understand I'm in the minority on this one. Mm-hmm. Well, that's me. That's movies. All right. Uh, our movie club this week is The Children's Hour. Uh, 1961 movie directed by William Wyler uh base a screenplay by john michael hayes and lillian hellman uh based on the play written by lillian hellman um starring shirley mcclain audrey hepburn and james garner uh i picked this because destiny had talked about it as a movie that she thought was good as long as i've known her um and it was in kyle's book and i was like i should just get around to watching this um i knew it was going to be kind of an unpleasant time which is why i had not rushed out to watch it um Mm -hmm. but uh you know, it's Pride. Happy Pride. Let's watch the saddest movie in the world. <laughs> Jackson, what happens in this film? Uh, in this film, um, Karen and Martha, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, are two women who are running a private school and they're finally profitable. Uh, but then a awful demon child uh, <laughs> uh, is annoyed about being punished for being a bully one day and makes up a lie by embellishing some things she's heard that the two women who run the school are lesbians. Um, and 
this uh, lie grows out of control. She tells it to her grandma, who tells it to the other parents. People start getting pulled out of the school. Uh, as people start getting pulled out of the school, uh, the two women are like, fuck you, uh, and try to sue her for libel. Uh, this backfires. Uh, and because they're like, she just, like, the people accusing them don't actually show up in, in court and they can't really be uh, like interviewed. Nothing like They can't prove who was telling the truth. Yeah. Uh, so they don't win that case. Um, and their lives are ruined. Uh, and, and, um, I guess the two other things are like, Karen has a guy who she's been trying to marry for years and he's been like pushing her, but she's been focusing on the school. Um, and, uh, she like, he like asks her, is it true? And she's like, no, uh, we weren't actually gay. Uh, but she realizes that like, the doubt there will break them and then then breaks that off and then they don't like they they don't stay together uh and uh then martha reveals that uh it was kind of true she she has been in love with uh karen for decades as long as she's known her um and she doesn't really know how to deal with this because she hadn't thought about it and it was very repressed uh and this entire situation has really ruined her life (laughs) uh and karen's like polite about it but kind of doesn't really understand what she's being told uh or how big a deal it is um and so she leaves uh but then like returns and comes back like a couple minutes later uh to find that uh martha has uh killed herself and at the funeral she like gives everyone evil eyes and walks out <laughs> yes the end uh, the end <laughs> The aristocrats. <laughs> the aristocrats. <laughs> uh, but that's what the movie is. That's what happens in the movie. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, like I said, Destiny, you love this movie, and it talked it up. Um, and I knew everything that happened in it. That's one of the reasons I had not gone around to watching it before now. Um, but um, yeah. I was like, oh, we'll, we'll actually watch it. Um, and uh, really, surpri- the thing that surprised me, actually, is um, Audrey Hepburn's great in it. And I don't, I've never been a huge Audrey Hepburn fan. The lesser Hepburn in Phil. She is. Sorry. Like, <laughs> um, yes, that's just true. But um, like, I like Breakfast and Tiffany's, but like, um, I've seen her in a couple things. I've never think she's like the person who's carrying the movie. And I feel like she hard carries this movie. I think she's really good in it. Um, and there's a lot of ambiguity in the way they shoot her reactions to thing the things that are happening around her as her life falls apart. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that stuff's really good. This is like a very... Uh, like obviously the place from 1934 and this is still happening under like Hayes code film. So they have to talk around the part where this is about gay people. <laughs> kind of. They're just yeah. like, there's one part like they were lovers, but everything else is very like approached very obliquely. Um, and uh, that part's ridiculous. Um, but I do think it, it lends this sort of like aura to it that would not work if they were just out with it. I think this I is agree. the kind of movie you can only make under the oppression of we don't talk about such things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I did enjoy it. I thought it was uh, quite good. These fucking children. That little girl. Throw oh, her in the so ocean. Fucking evil. I didn't realize that Rosalie is the woman that uh, is the one in the body snatchers who's like, you know, hides her emotions. And, you know, oh, she, really? sees, she sees uh, uh, Sutherland at the end. Okay. Yeah, that, that's her. Huh. Um. Yeah, she's in. A, she did a lot of work. She's worked a lot. She's got a lot of Emmy nominations. Um, Veronica Cartwright. But yeah, I didn't know that was her. But yeah, no, I love this movie. I don't even. I saw it very, very young, and I didn't have a uh, sort of. 
I don't know. It just captivated me uh, being a baby queer, just like having this thing that everybody's talking around and uh, this child who doesn't even understand like what she's saying and doesn't realize the depth at which she's destroying these people's lives, but only because she's got like this, you know, she's spoiled and awful. Um, this grandmother who indulges her every whim. Uh, the old ladies in this movie are just classic 30s old ladies. I know it's not the 30s, but <laughs> they just have that, this is based on a play from the 30s vibe. Yes. Uh, There's a bunch of yeah. old money grandmas who suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> old money grandmas who suck. Uh, and I just, yes, it's sad, but like, I don't know. I don't feel like I have to defend that. No, no, no. I'm not saying you do. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I know. I just know that that's like, a, you know, a debate out in the world about, you know, queer representation. Uh, another cool thing or interesting thing is uh, they talk about this movie in the celluloid closet, mm-hmm. which is the documentary about depictions of queerness in cinema um, that was made in the 90s. And Shirley MacLaine's like, yeah, no, we just we didn't talk about it. <laughs> we also did not talk about it. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Jackson. Uh, yes. Um, I, I, uh, enjoyed this movie. I thought it was, I thought it was like a little unfocused in the middle bits. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I ended up mostly liking the whole thing. Um, even though it was a little up and down cause like it starts out and it's like this bubbling tension and then it becomes like cartoon children yelling at them for a while <laughs> uh but i ended up thinking that played better that like, like it ends up really hitting like today right and being, being about how like the presence of children allows weird fucking cowardly you know um i was i don't have the exact word but just like uh middle america to middle america to toronto bourgeois people people fucking rich people right the, the old ladies i was forgetting yeah. the exact class place to put them in uh mm-hmm. but to like um, go oh you, I'm protecting the ch- I'm I'm only doing this because I'm protecting the children. It's got nothing about my own bigotry. I only care about the children. The children, the children, the children. Uh, just invoked a real thing of like literally you can't go on Twitter without seeing a th- thousand people calling a random trans person a groomer, right? Like that just happens every day now. It's just our lives constantly, mm-hmm. and it's always been like I'm not saying it's new. Uh, it is literally the thing that is always invoked. Um, but it did hit with like a certain like man. I'm seeing that every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh so i like because what i do i think they're like the child it's fun to hate on this fucking evil child (laughs) (laughs) Um, she's she's like a willy wonka child right like yes (laughs) but she's so cartoonishly evil that it's like she should have no power she's a fucking nine-year-old devil like yes she She only has power because the adults take her seriously why would you listen to her (laughs) Yes. Uh, she's a spoiled child trying to get away by just making shit up. She has no perspective or care. Like, she's not trying to ruin anyone's life that is literally outside of her perspective because she only cares about what's directly in front of her mm-hmm. and how she can, like, manipulate the kids around her. But, like, in, like, a thoughtless, selfish way, not in, mm-hmm. like, a Machiavellian evil way. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, so I feel like the movie came down really hard on, like... It's it's not, it's not like... It wasn't the kid that did it, right? It yes. was, uh... Uh, the the adults it was believing it it was the whole thing um and um yeah so i thought that was pretty good uh and then i really liked the last uh most of the last half hour i guess 
uh like i really like the, uh, the big reveal which i didn't i didn't know about beforehand um but uh it was really good because i because i was also watching the movie like well she's obviously clearly gay <laughs> 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 it's like uh, Shane like soft butch vibes in this whole movie are like out of control. Because I'm watching the film and I'm like, okay, this movie's about this rumor, but like she's fucking gay. These women are gay as hell. <laughs> yeah, she's she's up here uh, doing all the doing all the like bookkeeping, uh, you know, uh, extremely like head of householding, and everyone knows it. Is the thing is like no one wants to speak about. Everyone like downplays this. She's just really jealous and wants to keep her friends. Like is weirdly. Uh, protective of her friends and like I don't want to be friends with anyone else or whatever but it's like that's all on that's all on uh, Audrey Hepper <laughs> it's not on anyone else it's just these two and this weird codependent spiral yeah um, and then I, I think my main frustration with the ending was I think it just a little it lets Audrey Hepburn off a little easy because um, I think one of the best scenes in the movie is like she's doing the confession and Audrey Hepburn's like politely she just literally doesn't know what to say, right? She's like, okay, uh, whatever, uh, it's fine. You're not, you're not messed up, right? Like her response is to like assuage her guilt, but not to like validate any of the feelings. Uh, mm-hmm. So I really like this because I think the final scene where she's like marching out of the, she's marches marches out of the cemetery, and everyone like watches her go, and she like gives them all a look, and uh, Joe's there, James Gardner, the fucking dumbass doctor, uh, watches yes. her go. Like, oh, is it my chance? And clearly it is not. Buddy, your chance sailed months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but like once it, once she walks past everyone, there's like this nebulous look on her face. that's almost like like the triumph of being free and escaping this. That is like uh, really like morally ambiguous. There's like this sense okay. like she to me, it's like she she's lost all of the burdens in her life. And they were things that she liked. She loved her. She loved her friends. She loved her fiance. She loved her school. But also sometimes when your life burns out down around you and you're on the other side, you're like, I could be anything now. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like it gives her the space to be like, it's not a good thing that she feels this way, but it's like a very like human to me. It's like a very like ambiguously like moralized emotion of um, maybe, maybe she's glad to be done with Joe and Martha and Martha's stupid aunt who lingers around and ruins our lives every day in the school that she works at 16 hours a day. <laughs> um, and it's, it's like bad to feel that like it's, it's on some level it's wrong to feel that way, but also it's very human to feel that way. And I like that it kind of sits on that one final moment of her almost smiling as she walks out of the, the graveyard. I feel like there's just a, a space for the ambiguity of that read in there. I just took it as much more of like a, you know, hero looking at all that you've all done this you've all done this and i hate you all i'm gonna like give you the evil eyes and walk away um mm. kind of yeah and when i when i'm like karen isn't like shitty in the way the uh the other people involved are shitty but like her entire life has been built on this willful denial and like soft exploitation of uh this like one-way adoration which is well, yeah, she's got she's got the veridiana problem right where she loves to just work for th- things and suffer but like she wouldn't have her life and her stability with her school and her husband if it wasn't for like the sacrifices of this girl who's in love with her that she doesn't yes, realize yes and she like i just take it took it more i made this like a very modern reading of like she's willingly closing off to like the true nature of that relationship because of how much it benefits her to have her friend who's completely in love with her and her husband who's completely in love with her yes uh, and but also her best friend is someone who 
was jealous of her and constantly pressuring her about her her fiance and was really controlling of their space and if she did Mm -hmm. understand those vibes and couldn't name them and then got to name them and also um martha's aunt is always lingering around being miserable like the third teacher who sucks in their life right Mm -hmm. (laughs) sucks help yeah um i understand why on some level she's like man i'm like grieving for her friend but also recognizing that Martha was extremely bad for her life in some ways, even when she was useful in other ways. Yeah. It's extremely like ambiguous and murky. And I think that's, what's good about it. I think mm-hmm. both things can exist there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I just came away with a much more like morally simple reading from the funeral. Scene. I was like, the funeral scene was like a, a, a ex- it, I took it much more as like a direct in the audience of who you're meant to, how you're meant to feel way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm willing to go a little further than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the fun of part of the fun of Hepburn's performance in general is um, it's Audrey Hepburn. So she just has this like startled deer of the capacity <laughs> as like an actress. That's like her whole thing uh, throughout all of her movies. Um, but in here, it's done in such like a she's not it's not breakfast at Tiffany's where she is the most glamorous person in like a world that like loves that about her. It's like she uh, is glamorous despite the fact she works all the time and looks tired all the time. Um, and there's just this weird, like unknowable sense, you know, you know how, like in, in like stories, I'm going to, I'm going to like shoujo this, right. Cause this is the thing that reminds me of in shoujo anime. There's like the girl who's just like preternaturally popular and good at stuff. Um, yes. and there's always some tragic backstory. That's who she is, right? That's the, the, the aura she inhabits in the story <laughs> and yes. allowing, allowing the the story of the plot to never really get in her head or have her, she does not get a big speech about how she feels about anything other than when she dumps James Garner's ass for asking her the stupid question he shouldn't have asked. Um, and I like that you're never given that. I think it's good to like lock that away. Mm-hmm. Cause like Shirley McLean puts it all out there. You know, everything her character's about by the end of this movie. <laughs> oh Yeah. You can read uh, her yeah. face before that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you just don't get that for Karen. I think that that is like one of the things I think is like really interesting. She did this right after the apartment. Oh, really? That's Yeah. Good. Talk about being on fire, like in a good way. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I was like really impressed by how... Uh, just the, the dynamics especially uh in the early stuff of like this rumor is allowed to spread like this rumor is allowed to spread because of the like relationship they have uh like professionally right it's like heterosexuality as a boundary of not just like how families work or how people feel about people like this is like shaping work right it's because of this work relationship they have and they have power over these kids in the school uh because they don't fit the traditional mold like even that space is molded to these boundaries um because i i really like that it wasn't like oh you know she's it, you can make a similar movie about like a housewife and like a neighbor or something and just has a, such a different dynamic i think bring into the school uh, yes. just, it's a really good choice about where these boundaries are enforced yes um, and uh like was a really important point about how like the entire conflict went. Mm-hmm. If you'd like more sapphic yearning, uh, Todd Haynes. Oh no, wait, who did the hours? I don't was know. that? Oh, okay. I've not seen the hours. It's a good one. No children involved in the hours. It's just the hours. <laughs> that is a Stephen Daldry movie. Okay, I'm like that's not 
him. I'm, like Julianne Moore's in it, so my brain went, it's a Todd Haynes film. But I'm thinking of Far From Heaven, which is another great melodrama. Modern melodrama. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I like the time skip around the uh, libel trial. Seeing that oh, the extreme, like, this is based on a play. Here's the act break. Yes. yes. And now, and now they, now they sit in this empty house and they're out of money and the entire country. Because I was like, I was like, why don't they just move? Like, you, you pick up your $90 and get the fuck out of here. Uh, it's the 60s. No one knows who you are. But it turns out the trial blew up that spot, actually. Uh, now they're national scandal. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say, this is based on... Uh, an actual case that happened in Scotland, but they won their suit, but it still, you know, ruined their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, even if you get the suit dismissed and a public apology in the papers, it, it does not, this, this is the thing, Audrey Hepburn, who thinks there's nothing going on is like, you, you can't put this, you know, you can't fix this problem by apologizing no. and giving us some money. Mm-hmm. Oh God, the scene where she comes back and is like, Oh, I'm sorry for ruining your whole life. It's like, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ, fuck you. You're the most evil one here because, you know, you're an adult and you want a 12-year-old doing this or however like, young they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, awful. Yes. Yeah. Skin-crawling scene. Just like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> Very much so. Um, there is a uh, 1936 ad- adaptation of this um, where they had to take out all of the... Uh, it is a heterosexual... <laughs> What's triangle. the movie about then? Um, good question. Somebody sleeps with somebody's husband. Is yeah. the rumor? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not. That's fun. To, like the rumor is about that it's unnatural. It's like a yes, I know, central thing. And like, I was yeah. seeing, I was reading other things about it, and I'm like, this this gets read at the time as a metaphor, but like because every, literally every single movie made between 1955 and uh, 1970 is about McCarthyism on some level. Yes, uh, is how like this stuff goes down in the um, popular readings when it's not, this, this uh, it is still directed by William Wyler though, which is interesting. Huh? That is interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it. I don't remember it very well. I just know it's not as good. Well, yeah. <laughs> these three it's called. Yeah. It's these three. They had to change the, the play was so uh, notorious. They had to change the title. Well, it was illegal to be gay in New York City in the 30s. Yes. <laughs> Just so people are aware. <laughs> I know you know. Um, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense, but damn. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I uh, ended up really liking this. I was expecting... It, it's weird because like, a lot of it is like... I don't mean I don't know how else to describe this. I thought like watching the movie was kind of cringe, but in like the legitimate sense where I found it difficult to watch the things play out, the thing that they were happening. I didn't want to watch this girl like thoughtlessly ruin these women's lives. And I didn't want to watch them all stumble over themselves to like talk about how it's not true uh, and know that they're not going to figure it out and know that uh, it actually is true for Shirley MacLaine. It's just like hard to watch. Yeah. I was a lot of like nervously looking at my phone <laughs> watching the movie. Oh. Not in a distracted way, just in the like, I don't know. This is just hard. This is like hard to, I want to look away from the thing, mm-hmm. um, which I think is like a quality in cinema that is like oh, sometimes hard to deal with, but I don't think it's like bad. I'm not going to watch Peep Show anytime soon. <laughs> I've never seen Peep Show. I love Peep Show, but it's hard to watch. Isn't that like an outright comedy though? 
Yes. Yes, okay. it's like it is is more of a comedy. But it's like, it's absolutely like bringing up the cringe. Okay. I find uh, that I get I get like if I just project too much and if like the thing is like too embarrassing, I just literally can't handle it. I just have to look. No, I'm I'm the same. It's, just, it's sometimes hard. There is one episode of The Office I turned off like ten minutes in when I knew where it was going. The office. And what happens in the office? Like which one? What the American office. Now? The American office where he promises. No, I know, but, but which episode? Which one? okay? So Michael Scott promises these little black kids that he's going to pay for their college when he hits it big, and so you know, eighteen years pass, twenty years pass, or whatever. These kids are ready to go to college, and he doesn't have that money, and he has to go talk at their school because they're expecting the money. And I turned it off. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I was like, nope, nope, nope. Oh, God. And I've never turned off an episode of that show. Like, I actually genuinely liked it, <laughs> and I liked the British one as well. Even though, you know, mm-hmm. Gervais. Hmm. I don't have anything else to say. Good movie, though. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I I didn't I didn't know about it beforehand, so I was like, "Damn, fucked up." <laughs> oh, <yeah>. That's fair. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, our move. Oh, if you want some questions, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, we have a question of the week. Uh, our question of the week this time. Let me get the actual qu- title here. Uh, what's the movie you put off watching, even though you knew you'd probably like it? What's a classic movie when you got to it just didn't work for you? Pick one or both. This is inspired by Tampopo, which is one of those I put off forever, even though I knew I'd probably like it. Um, mm-hmm. We, we are, we, me and Jax are not allowed to say Psycho because <laughs> um, everyone knows we don't like Psycho. Yes, no, everyone knows we don't like Psycho. That's just known. Anyway, uh, we have a couple questions. Uh, first one is from Aiden. What movie would be better if you added a number at the end of the title? No changes to the movie itself whatsoever, aside from the number in the title card. Beethoven second two. Uh, the, the taking of Pelham 1234. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, Citizen Kane 3. <laughs> it's just a clip I show like the, the first two Citizen Kane movies. I like the three. Yeah. Citizen Kane is kind of a compilation movie. If you think yes. <laughs> um, Hilver writes in What are your favorite books about film? This is the Destiny question. The first book that popped into my head was one I read at a very formative age, and I don't know if it holds up, but just hold my hand. Roger Ebert's Book of Film, which is a compilation of his favorite essays on film. So he has excerpts from, like, Kurosawa's biography, autobiography. Um, He's got some pages from a Tarantino fan site. (laughs) Uh... It, there's just a lot of great writings in it, but it is a compilation of uh, things edited by Roger Ebert, and he talks about like why he picked them and the beginning of each one. And I just I read this at a very very formative age in my film nerdery, and I uh, used to just pick it up from the library like every couple of years and reread it. I just I love it. <laughs> um, my uh, I have a couple recommendations. Um. Scorsese by Ebert, which is his book about uh, Scorsese's filmography, um, is very good. 
uh, I did. I read that when I went through all the Scorsese films, and uh, it's it really like is what inspired me to be as like auteur focused as I tend to be. Um, you just get a lot by digging into someone's entire work sometimes. Um, Sidney Lumet's Making Movies is a fucking classic. Everyone should read that. It's like really funny um, and very grounded about just like making movies is a job and you need to treat it like a job, but that doesn't mean you can't have a good time. Um, I think it's great. Um, and if you want something a little more critical, I uh, really like Pictures of the Revolution, uh, which is about um, New Hollywood and like the like political landscape that birthed New Hollywood. Um, those are mine. Uh, yeah, I, I've read like one book about a movie and I'm only halfway through. So like, I'm not really reading movie books. <laughs> uh, Save the so cat. I yeah. I mean, I, I read fucking terrible textbooks, uh, when I was in, like I read the Robert McKee shit and all that nonsense when I was in a, uh, screenwriting degree. Uh, but then that like killed my urge to actually read a book about film because I did a screenwriting <laughs> degree before I had the chance. So that's kind of the way that went. Um, Hill presents the question of the week. Uh, my friends and I used to meet up and watch a bunch of DVDs. We would bring a stack of secondhand DVDs to each other's houses. But one film that never got watched was a plastic wrapped unopened copy of Master and Commander. I think I love that movie, but I can't bring myself to open up this one copy, which got taken to all these film nights, but never got watched. Um, well, one, you should upgrade to a nice Blu-ray of Master Commander. You should watch Master Commander. It's fucking gr- I need to sit. I need to sit Destiny down and watch Master Commander, even though I'm pretty sure she's going to think it's boring. Um, yeah, it's just it good. We can boring. do Master Commander next. We can do Master Commander next if we want to do Master Commander. You want to like, oh, let's watch Master Commander. She just press the button. At any time, we can do Master Commander. Oceans are battlefields. Happy Pride. Master Commander. Um... Let's see. Uh, Harry writes in, uh, I, I'm constantly putting off seeing movies I think I'll like and hope is catching them on the big screen. Sometimes it works out like seeing Lawrence Arabia on 70 millimeter for the first time. And sometimes oh, it leads to me still not having seen Metropolis despite loving Fritz Lang. Even in a city with decent repertory screenings, it's totally a gamble, but it can be rewarding. And that, that's fair. Um, mm-hmm. I've not seen Lawrence. I would love to see Lawrence Arabia on 70 millimeter. Fuck. I'd, I'd go yeah. right now. Yeah. I'm breaking my COVID rules. It's Lawrence Arabia on 70. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jen writes in, uh, answering the same as me. I hadn't seen, uh, didn't watch Shampoo for a while. Knew I'd like it, but I was saving it for a day where I really needed something to cheer me up. I just didn't want to, you know, I talked about why I didn't watch it. And sure enough, when I did watch it, it put a great, uh, put me in a great mood for us today. That's true. It does do that. Um, Tron writes in, uh, children's hour is a really hard watch, which is true. Um, uh, Tron's answer for question of the week is Hereditary, uh, which I haven't watched. Um, you know what? You, you, could, you could skip that one. I think Hereditary sucks. I know this is an unpopular opinion. But uh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. You should watch it. Just to, just to have uh, an opinion on it. Yep. Um, most questions I think we've already answered. I don't want to answer the one about juicy gossip at the high school because I literally my juicy gossip is really unpleasant. Uh, there it was not it was not juicy. It was real and bad in my high school. Yup, um, same. <laughs> um, teacher ended up dead because of our gossip. It was a, it was a nightmare. Dead? Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. No. Fuck him. He, he had it coming. Um, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> the, the other question, what are some of your thoughts on queer folks wishing or desiring more positive stories about queer folks and queerness? What do you see as valuable in stories like this film for queer people? 
I mean, you talked about this early on, Jax. Like, we still live in in a world where people are holding up children as their like excuse to to be bigoted, right? Yeah, I mean, I th- I feel like I have a very common opinion on this, at least in circles I run, of like it is good to have positive queer stories and queer stories of all kinds. Uh, however, online has like created circumstances that like wield these representational arguments as like ideals <laughs> i i guarantee there are people out there who's like oh children's hours bear your gaze and it's miserable it's, i found them on letterbox i found them on letterbox. <laughs> i was gonna say what the fuck i found I, out some of them like it's a predatory lesbian and bear your gaze movie which like i guess it kind of is it's not but- a predatory lesbian movie the, the the review went into details of like it talks about the pressure lesbians like a specter that the women invoke but also like buys into the idea that she's secretly in love with her straight friends yes uh, was the critique they made oh okay but, like, that's fair but, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't like the worst review ever but it did it did say these are the tropes that are like problematic about it as like and i just think that that is a form of analysis that is very easily um, um let's say exploited by corporations wanting to sell you fucking water down nothing this um, a movie that's what it's about it's about these things like i yeah exactly yeah <laughs> like and I'm, like, I'm not like i know oh, a lot I... of people go, oh sorry no no no, no. go ahead go ahead I, don't know, I know a lot of people get like a, a real cultural horse of like this is why we have to stop these fucking tender queers and i i back off from that because i'm like in the same way as watching Children's Hour, the tender queers if, if if they exist are like you know teens they can't do anything the people i'm annoyed at are like the the ways in which corporations deploy identity and stoke conversations around identity uh in order to sell fucking little mermaid or whatever well uh, specifically i literally saw a tweet today uh because i was on main which is a mistake uh of someone going um everyone all all of you like you know angry politics people were were mad about the rainbow capitalism but look at how bad it is now that uh the corporations are capitulating to the angry conservatives it's like no that's we're mad because we realized it was an empty gesture and they would fold the minute there was real opposition it's not real support if they just put it out there to sell you shit and the minute they get pushback they roll it all away right exactly that was was always part of the critique no one was yes (laughs) (laughs) i don't think people were saying like oh before this it was good because we had more target stands that wasn't like (laughs) that wasn't the like center of the fucking debate going on here yeah i my take on it is that all people deserve all kinds of stories about themselves and that that's my take it's as simple as that like i like that's all i really have to say like i just i don't get this idea that everything like, okay, my sister, my sister, who's really, um, she's really funny. She's really smart. She's cool. <laughs> you should follow her on Twitter, at Tabby Longlegs, uh, with a Z. Uh, anyway, so she said to me that she didn't like the Candyman remake because there was a lot of, it was just about whiteness in this way that irked her and she didn't, uh, and, and about black struggle in this way that she's like, every single movie is about black struggle. I just wanted to watch a horror movie. Mm. And I was like, that's valid. And like, so I get wanting like not every gay film to be a sad thing. And for a while, that's really what it was. That's what the cellulite closet is about. But we can't dismiss these stories. I just don't think that's the way to handle it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's all I'll say on that. Um, there's no more legitimate queer experience than growing up uh, with your straight friend who you kind of have a crush on, but she's definitely in love with some idiot guy who sucks. <laughs> Reverse the genders as appropriate. 
but um, <laughs> yeah, everyone's got a straight in their lives. They're like, oh, no, don't do this. You're, you're fucking up your life. <laughs> Mine was named Sarah. What was yours? <laughs> uh, is that? Oh, and then um, Nigel writes in classic movie didn't work for me when I finally got to it was Antonioni's blow up, which I still haven't seen. Sort of thing I would have eaten up as a 20 something, but it uh, felt a little shallow finally seeing it in my mid 30s. Um, which fair enough. I'll confess I can't get through the first like 15 minutes of that movie. Uh, I think um, someday we'll watch it. Yeah, I'd like to finish it. Like, it's a movie I need to watch with someone, I think. Trying to watch it alone it didn't work out. Fair enough. Uh, so what are your answers to the question of the week? Um, For me, like, I still haven't seen The Godfather. I don't know if I'm ever going to see The Godfather. Like, is that an okay answer? <laughs> Yeah, that's totally an okay answer. You should watch The Godfather, though. I mean, I don't think you're going to love it. As somebody who loved... You don't need to watch The Godfather. But, like, as somebody who loved The Sopranos and knows that that's a text that that is built Eh, upon... Sopranos clears The Godfather every single day. Okay. I really like The Godfather. I think The Godfather's really good. Um, But, like... But you, if you watch Sopranos, you also would think The Sopranos clears The Godfather every single day. I think you would love The Sopranos. Uh, no, 100% I would. There's no doubt in my mind that I would draw The Sopranos. I just haven't, like, cleared time yep. for it. It's hard to watch TV yep. shows. Yep. Right, right, right. I understand. I don't watch TV either. <laughs> um, So what's yours, Jackson? Uh, so what's, like, phrasing the question? Because I have some answers. It's, like, it's, it, you do both. It's like, what's the thing that you've been putting off watching, even though you think you're going to really like it, or a classic movie when you got to it didn't work for you? Um. Uh, so like the, I mean, my main like classic movies, uh, that didn't work for me, um, are like, you know, I don't even know what counts as a classic movie, but, uh, it's just like, I hated fucking Back to the Future, right? And that's, but I don't even oh, know yeah. if it counts. That's you know, considered that a totally classic counts. movie. Yeah, that totally counts. Uh, I'm like, do we talking like classic movies or just well-known movies? Like, I, no, 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 I that, really, that, that could totally count. I agree. Uh, Really didn't like Saving Private Ryan. I'm like, that's a oh really man. Shit. I also really didn't like Saving Private Ryan. I was like, man, I normally love Spielberg. What happened here? Um, I don't remember it. It was definitely one where I watched the Saving Private Ryan like relatively recently, and it's like, I think this movie is like evil. I think the things it's saying about war in America are really bad. But that's why it's lucky uh, that Spielberg did not bring his fucking A game for this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it's also kind of boring and just not as good as his usual stuff. Yes. I don't know why it blew up so hard. Because. Uh, um, you know, that Spielberg's done better <laughs> many yeah. times. Um, but the real thing as I was looking through this is like, this actually, ha- like, I often think, oh, I'm, you know, I have annoying contrarian takes sometimes. And that does happen. But you know what? Generally, when there's a well-liked movie, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and movies putting off, uh, my, the one I always think of is uh, the movie Cube, which is not a classic, but it does fall into this uh, thing. of like, Cube is a film that I didn't watch until like 2014. Uh, I'm asking for off. movies you're still putting off, but okay. Uh, well, maybe I'm still putting off. Well, there's yeah. like literally thousands of them. Like that's, yeah. I haven't watched it for thousands <laughs> because I just have a Plex library. So I genuinely, I genuinely couldn't tell you, like go back and talk about when I was like going to watch those battles out on our humanity movies, right? Like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can I can go knock knock off if you want me to list movies that I haven't watched I could be here all day but there's not really like an interesting answer <laughs> yeah, because fair like, 
my watch list is so broad of like I'll watch anything one day um uh which is I guess my own approach I was mentioning of cube of in specific because that is extremely one of like I watched clips and like had read the wikipedia summary like a decade before that's just a movie I knew all about and never actually sat down and watched all of for like 10 years uh which is ridiculous and then I did and I really liked it hey guess what cube's really good uh yeah no that's fair Mine, mine of these was Sunset Boulevard until I fixed that earlier this year, right? Like, saw that, and I was like, damn, why did I wait to see that? Uh, yeah. Um, which, uh, I also have, like, 8,000 of these. I feel like mine are all, like, Italian movies at this point, where I'm just like, I just don't want to sit down and have a bad time. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're all kind of sad, and they're all, like, uh, long as fuck, and I'm just like, oh. uh, Yeah, I need to go find some, um sad dramas to watch or not even sad drama like uh playing what was it was it it wasn't was it playing or watching i don't know but i was watching something or playing it recently it was either an anime or jrpg and i was just like i have to fucking get away from the one plot i have to dis- oh it's only when oh. you were playing chrono cross when i was playing chrono cross right and that's a good one of the one plots it's a totally except one of those but like literally half of the things i was engaging with at some point came down to like you know should we all merge into one or not or should which you know, is not a even... thing that, not a thing that happens in chrono cross for the record anyone listening no not a thing that happens but it, like i meant it just broadly the philosophical yes. the philosophical questions of like jrpgs and anime uh is a thing that re- repeats in like multiple drummers and multiple ideas anything that's like vaguely science fiction and actiony uh has those ideas in it and it's not everything but it's such a common thing that i was like i have to go watch some normal fucking movies and instead i started watching homicide life on the street um not normal. <laughs> it was yeah it's pretty normal that's just a normal television show for adults i don't think that you can say one of the like low-key like sleeper hits of television of that era counts as like normal television you were watching like the good stuff most tv is mid compared well, i to meant that. the good st- i didn't i wasn't talking qualitatively i'm i was talking about getting away from anime yeah fair enough <laughs> there's nothing anime about uh <laughs> Life on the street unless you want to say it's like a slice of life workplace show which kind of is it kind of is yeah um all right uh that's it uh jackson what are we doing next time what's the question of the week um fuck i need a question uh give me a second but uh, i have the movie all right what's the movie uh the movie is 1995's my beautiful laundrette oh, oh. i love that movie i've never seen it i oh. also love this movie is kyle did kyle put that movie in his book i don't know i haven't gotten that far it's in order okay uh i would assume so because I, I, I saw that one this one at school and i remember adoring it and then M mentioned the other with oh it's pride you gotta do a gay movie and i was like i was joking I. you did not have to do that <laughs> yeah, i got to. in my head <laughs> then it got in my head uh and also i did i do remember genuinely adoring this movie so it will okay. probably be a good time all right um it's uh, also 97 minutes long good job <laughs> i didn't even check that didn't even check that <laughs> <laughs> uh but nailed it now i was just looking at like what like <laughs> queer movies do we have in my library that might be a good good fit for this and uh this is the one i picked could have had master commander but uh <laughs> <laughs> also, you know what uh also chris and i'm a master commander <laughs> so true <laughs> don't tell the dads who love master commander that it's, it's secretly super gay but it is intensely Dad? barely secretly super gay <laughs> Dad love gay movies. Like those yeah. those kind of gay movies that are all about dudes who respect and love each other beyond yes. all beauty is the yes. most dad coded thing of all time. <laughs> yes. Um what's the question? 
Great question. I couldn't think and talk at the same time. <laughs> you would like to um, do the plug while I do that. All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. You support our podcast, patreon.com slash normal mapping. For $1 a month, you get the Great Gundam Project. We're watching Seed Destiny. We're almost done. Uh, we're watching Our Battle of Dunbine. We are basically done as of next week. Um, moving on to hopefully better pastures after all this shit. Uh, for $5, you get Blockbusters, where I recently watched uh, Smoking the Bandit was our last movie, right? Um, and now we're watching Paddington. We're going to record that right after this. Um, and for $10, if you really want to support us, you get VoIP Life, where we just kind of goof off. Um, that's not particularly movie-coded lately, but, um, you know, there's there are good movie episodes in there. Um, there's a lot of uh, dumb shit in VoIP Life. So please check that out. Destiny. At Fridge Buzz now, most places on the internet, and my other podcast, Badland Girls, we'll record an episode eventually. <laughs> We're on abnormalmapping.com slash badlandgirls. Yeah, you can find me at headfallsoff on twitter.com. You can find the other podcast that me and I do, abnormalmapping.com, uh, and uh, go listen to them. All right, hit me. <laughs> uh, okay, so in the, in the last 30 seconds, uh, the question I'm coming up with uh, is... Is there any famous film director who you like, uh, who has done television work you like that is like a good like whether they've come from TV or like you know small stuff? I don't know how to phrase that. Yeah. Uh, okay. And it, feel free if it's like Quentin Tarantino doing the CSI episode, or if it's someone who like started out being like he was a particular you know Steven Spielberg starting out Columbo, and you're like fuck this guy he's gonna go places. Don't mind whether it's the big guy uh, takes the television gig or the other way around, um, but. Uh, there you go. That was the question I had because the questions are so hard and I always forget to think about them when I'm trying to pick what movie it's to do. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, you already did your plugs, so we'll see you in two weeks. Until then, movies. Now more than ever. Don't expect to like them. 